pride is the downfall of what we do. And um, humility is, I think, something that we have to be praying for on a daily basis. Because it's so easy to be caught up into pride because we're on a platform, we have an audience, we have attention, we have a gift that people are patting our backs. I mean, I get more people patting on my back than someone who's, you know, criticizing me. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast, episode 305. Expositors Collective is part of CGN Media, podcasts that point towards Christ. This episode was recorded in Austin, Texas, and it is, man, I gotta say, I just love panel discussions. So we just finished up hearing from Rod Carver. He gave a talk about mentorship, which was the previous episode, if you want to scroll back and and listen to that for context. And then we opened up the conversation to questions about avoiding Christianese, the appropriate use of allegory, the danger of pride, and then also like handling heartbreak in the ministry. So there's a collection of topics, each of which are important to any preacher, any teacher, any Bible study leader that's listening. I hope this encourages you. And I hope that this episode and all the Video Expositors Collective help you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Here's the panel discussion with Dominic Doan, Rod Carver, Clay Worrell, Christy Michaels, and Terry Michaels. How do you avoid Christianese? <laughs> uh, just don't. Don't say those words. <laughs> um, no, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's it's super important. And this comes back to what Tim Chaddock was saying, and I think Mike talked about it. And it, it's it's keeping the unchurched in mind as you preach. And I think I think we have to keep in mind the unchurched, non Christians the mature believers, the de-church, like there's so many different demographics we have to kind of have in our minds. Tim was saying yesterday, I think he may have said it from up here, that he likes to have conversations with different types of people about his sermon topic or even the content of a sermon before he preaches it. And I think that's really, really helpful. But but yeah, it's a, it's a common mistake to fall into that that place where you just assume that everybody knows the Bible as well as you do or comes from the same background as you do. I didn't grow up as a, as a Christian and I remember when I was coming to faith as a, a young teenager, being so freaked out by some of the things that kids were saying in youth group. It's like, man, I'm just so on fire, like the, this and that. It's like, why? Well, that's not good, you know? Or like, and even the there's, way that there's, there's an appointment for that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, um, man, are you sold out? Like, I, I don't, I don't think so. What does that mean, you know? And even the way Christians pray, it's like, Father God, Godfather, Jesus God, Godfather. I just pray, Lord God, Father. It's like. I'd be overwhelmed if somebody talked to me like that. So I think it's good to have like a kind of just step back and think about what's coming out of our mouths before before it does. And, and if we're doing that, then you're going to be fine. I love words. And if you can use one word to describe like a whole sentence, it's a really good word. But my wife always reminds me, they have no idea what you're talking about, right? <laughs> like, you're trying, you're just trying to look smart, you know, like, but anyway, so... Um, 
at the same time, like when you're teaching in the teaching context, I think it's fine to say, you know, there's this term, you know, soteriology, which is the study of how people are saved, you know? And so it's still a teaching moment because they're going to run into it anyways. And so you want your church to kind of be able to, you know, but it is, it is stuffy and obnoxious when people just start throwing out words in the wrong context. Like if you're in a group of Bible teachers, you can use these words, but if you're not, you're just, it's obnoxious. And for me, I, uh, for a while, because of situations, I hung out with a bunch of lawyers and I'm like, and they're just talking like I totally get them, you know, and, and then I just got a good dose of myself. So I, but, but it is, it's the awareness of, of who you're talking to. And I think in a teaching context, it's okay to use, you know, use the proper word, but then you explain it afterwards, you know, cause, cause it is educating for them, you know? All right. Here's another one. Yeah, do you have any helpful tips in avoiding allegory? Why don't you explain what allegory means? <laughs> <laughs> like if um, you know, I wanted to compare one part of scripture with another and I like try to draw a line, like how do you know whether or not that line is like too far or if it's something like like if that line is there? I, I think if it's clearly taught. If, if it's a principle and, and you're stretching that scripture to, to make that point, I would just say, why are you stretching it? You know, you, the word has enough to say anyways, you know. Um, but sometimes, like, John Corson is a famous person that just stretches scripture to death, and he's still one of my favorite teachers. Um, and he's an incredible communicator, and you remember what he says, you know. But he does, he stretches things very far. The thing is, he's just making sure what he stretches, it's clear somewhere else. He doesn't have to stretch it that far. It's already a clear principle, so he's not teaching error. But I would just say, if you feel like you're stretching it, you probably should back up. You, you don't need to go there. There's enough there without stretching it, you know. And, and so I don't know how to absolutely avoid it other than just making sure you're teaching clearly what that passage says. Yeah, and, and that's where <clears throat> on page what in the handbook, Mike, with all the different... 47. On page 47, it, you know, I really encourage you guys to spend some time looking at those and maybe even get on the internet and do some, some deeper digs there because allegory is not the only way to, to preach Old Testament or other scripture in a Christ-centered way. It's one of the ways. It's often not the most effective way. And so if, if that is in your mind, like I have to find an allegory for Jesus in this, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, uh, preach in a Christ centered way, then you're going to get yourself in trouble. Um, because oftentimes you just can't do it responsibly. So, so find the way that that scripture, like most responsibly and effectively shows Jesus. And there's many different ways to do that. Anyone else? Yeah, I would, I, would, I would add, since nobody asked me, um, but in <laughs> the passage that Danny and I, that we each taught, Genesis chapter 16, um, actually is used by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians in an allegorical way. So there was a large swath of Christian history, you know, Origen and a bunch of other early teachers of the Middle Ages were, were quite allegorical, possibly in an irresponsible way. And so that causes us to want to be like, whoa, we don't allegorize here. But we have some New Testament um, authorization for allegory from time to time. But as I agree with what Clay said, you want to do that you know, carefully and make sure that it's responsible. And as Rod was saying, there's probably a clear 
way of saying it somewhere else in the Bible. So I'd say, you know, it's not, not safe, legal, and rare, but um, we should be very responsible with our allegories, but it's not, they're not forbidden. That's what I'd say. Yeah. All right, here's another question. Uh, how do y'all deal with pride? Pride? Yeah. I've, I've never struggled with yes. it in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, pride is the downfall of what we do. And um, humility is, I think, something that we have to be praying for on a daily basis. Because it's so easy to be caught up into pride because we're on a platform, we have an audience, we have attention, we have a gift that people are patting our backs. I mean, I get more people patting on my back than someone who's, you know, criticizing me. And um, so obviously it's something that many pastors do struggle with and fall as a result of. Um, I think it's really just something that we have to get on our knees on a daily basis, even before we prepare our Bible study, um, as we look into the Word, you know, just praying that God would keep us humble um, you know, I pastor this church here. Um, I'm very mindful that this is something that I do not deserve. It's not a position that I ever earned. Uh, it's not, you know, because I have all this experience and all this behind my belt that that's what brings me here. I'm here for one reason, by the grace of God. It's because of him that I'm here, and it's him that allows me to be a messenger of his good news. But it's certainly nothing that, you know, I've obtained on my own or anything that I can ever deserve on my own. And so I have that to keep me humble. And then if you're married, ask your wife to keep you humble. Have her talk to you after your message, and uh, she'll take you down a few notches. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, and uh, Rod kind of alluded to it, um, take mission trips, do outreach, do weddings, do funerals, visit the youth group. Um, I I happen to love that, and I feel like it's a great way to be recalibrated, to get reset. Um, we have a women's group that likes to go to Mexico and do um, women's conferences down there. Um, and it can be arduous and, um, you know, kind of um, unpredictable, <laughs> but um, it, it really resets you. And um, I think putting yourself out in the community with the unchurched um, and and meeting needs and serving people from all walks of life and from every um, social strata or whatever um, keeps you keeps you humble. I, as cliche as it might sound, I honestly think that the gospel is the answer to pride. You know, we talked a lot about gospel centered preaching and and that's essential, but we're or Christ centered preaching, but also it, it's the gospel being the center of our lives and ministry because you know the gospel is is it's amazing because it keeps us in this right place of understanding both that we have absolutely nothing to offer in and of ourselves, but that God puts 
something significant in us that he wants to use through us for his people. Because there's kind of two sides of the pride coin, right? There's the side of the pride coin that says, I'm the best. I'm so great. Aren't I wise? Aren't I awesome? You know, I've got so much to offer. But then the other side of the of the pride coin is like this, this um, kind of self-loathing. I'm useless. I'm, you know... Um, just a puddle of scum on the on the floor, you know that self loathing part, and both are are pride because at the end of the day both of them are are more focused on you than on anything else you know um, whereas when when we are preaching the gospel to ourselves before we preach the gospel to our our hearers, then God through that gospel is bringing us to this place of of constant recognition that we have nothing in and of ourselves to offer but that God in his radical grace, he places something so powerful and so significant in us and, and communicates it through us that, <clears throat> that um, you know, we have authority and, and, and power to, um, to minister and to, and to preach the, the word of God. So, so yeah, I think just preaching the gospel to yourself on a daily basis is the, the key for humility. Because if you try to be humble, you just wind up being proud of yourself for being humble, you know. Chuck used to always tell us, you guys and your budgets and your car allowances. And it's like, God's only using you to prove he's powerful, <laughs> right? And First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that, right? God uses the weak to shame the strong. God uses the ADD to minister to those that have brains in their head that can stay focused, right? And, and um, I, think, I think standing back and just being, a, you know, just really getting to know the Lord, you know, like Clay was saying, like, just be amazed that God can even use you. Like, really be stinking amazed. Like, are you kidding me? We drive past a church and people there were like, what's going on there? You know, like, we're, I, I'm the pastor of this church. I have no idea. Stuff's going on that I, it's, God is so good, right? Like, people are doing stuff and, and things are happening. But just be amazed. And, and then I, you know, I think about gifting too. If you've been given the gift of teaching, it's because you were lousy at it. He, he, he wanted you to use it, right? So he had to give you a gift. You are not special. You're special needs, right? So, I mean, this, it's just, it's amazing that God would use us. And just always remembering that God opposes the proud. You've always got to put yourself in check, right? And then my quick answer is this. Plant a Calvary Chapel in Texas. <laughs> um, when my daughter was two, she was really into um, Thomas the Tank Engine. And I remember one day, there was like some kind of drama with her and Thomas. And she threw Thomas um, against the wall. And I'm sitting down there trying to be a good dad. Um, you know, which is tough. Uh, you mentioned get married if you want to be humble. Have a kid if you want to be <laughs> humble. Uh, it's been said that parenting is like having a blender without a lid. Uh, so I'm like, okay, how do I t- turn this into a teachable moment? And I, I told my daughter, I'm like, well, I need, to, you know, I need to give you a timeout. Which my daughter Amelia, she, to this day, she's a raging extrovert. So a timeout for her is like a version of hell. And uh, so I pick her up. She's two years old. We're walking up the stairs, and she grabbed my face. And with her big blue eyes, like, grab my face with both hands. And she's like, but dad, and with a loud voice, 
what about grace? What about <laughs> grace? Like, what do you do? You're a pastor. Uh, that's what you teach on every week. And, but I think that's such a key point is um, it's all grace. The fact that we get to be here and love each other and open the word, it's, it's grace. And, and as grace grows in our heart, I think that coincides with that sense of wow, that sense of wonder, which keeps us humble. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, usually we don't have every person answer a question, but when it comes to uh, an important question such as that, as avoiding pride, I think... We were all proud to answer that. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah, we'll do a vote on who's... Yeah. Anyway, so here's a question having to do with uh, with mentorship. Um, I... uh miss the first part of the mentoring part uh, but it's been huge for me uh, serving in the youth ministry. I really feel that mentorship is important for our next generation. Um, My question would be because I think I have a uh, not a good look at how mentorship looks um, how How do you not? How do you know where the mentorship should be, and how do you keep from being discouraged when you were sharing about those that you poured into, and not taking it personal as, okay, God, I wasn't su- supposed to do that, and um, I think I don't know how to ask this question. No, I, you know what I'm talking. Your, your heart is always going to be broken in ministry. Because God tells you to love without holding back. And love is always vulnerable, but love is never a waste of time. So because he loved a whole lot of people, a lot more people, and he died for way more people than loved him back. So when you do that, you're going to get hurt. But the beauty in that is you get to watch God restore your heart every time. So you're not afraid the next time. We live in in a Navy town. And if you live in a military town, people are there for, at max, four years. For us, we fall in love with these students sometimes just for one year. You know, and, and these guys we get for two years, right? They're, they're advanced trainings in our area. But man, you're, you're... and then they leave, you know? Um, but I, I tell people all the time, I, I, I'm not going to become a machine. I want to become like Jesus. And, and he, he never stops loving. And so the disappointment does come, but, but I'm going to grow from it because I take my broken heart and I hand it back to God and I watch him heal me again. And I've become a better lover after all the hurts. I'm not a bitter pastor. And I've had our church tried to be split five times or whatever, but God has taught me to love those people that have left or that have disappointed me or who have broken my heart, you know? Um, I don't know if that answers the question. Uh, I think it answers part of the question, and I can't remember the other part. But um, anyway, so that's mentoring is just pouring into people, and mentoring can look like a thousand different things. There's there's so many different levels of mentoring too. I think, you know. Um, but what I tell our church, and for you guys that are senior pastors, I tell them this: Listen, we got to get stuff done, but we're a sloppy church, purposefully. Because we do not want to choose the process over the person in the process. And I, right now, I see all of our ministries as a way to reach the people that are in the ministries as well. They're not cogs in a machine, they're sheep. 
And so the people we put over ministry, we had someone over our sound ministry who had no idea about sound. <laughs> but she had people under her that knew about sound, but she was this incredible, she was, a, a, she was an officer, a, a commander in, in the Coast Guard. So she knew how to you know, organize people and stuff. But that ministry was so loved during the time that she was there. Because unless you're ministering to the people, you're being a machine. We're not a machine. We're an organism. We're a living body. And I know our church will not be a mega church because we are sloppy by design. Because the people are more important than the project, the process, or the building. You know? And, and so every leader in our church, we're asking to be a mentor in that sense, to care about every single person in your ministry. And, and, and so many different forms, but I think just to tell people the church has got to be a place that loves God and loves people. That's the greatest commandment. And that fulfills all the law too. But, but we want to be a well-oiled machine and be amazing to people. I want to be amazing to God not to people, yeah. you know. Yeah, just really, really quickly. Um, if, if you're pouring your life out in ministry for any amount of time, you're going to be betrayed and heartbroken. I mean, we, we, we've all experienced that. And so I, I tell myself and I tell those that I mentor and that are doing ministry all the time, you're doing what you're doing. You're doing ministry for God first and then for people. And as long as that's your focus, then the heartbreak, the betrayal, the backstabbing, it's not going to shipwreck you because when you're pouring into somebody's life for years and giving yourself to them and spending time with them and even spending money on them, and then you become a villain in their eyes and they betray you. Um, if that was done unto the Lord, not the person, for the person, but ultimately for the Lord, then at the end of the day, you stand before God with a clear conscience and it was worth it. And you just entrusted to him. So, so ultimately, everything that we do is for God and not for the people we're doing it for. Joan, first of all, you've done a great job pouring into our girls here at, at Calvary Austin. And, you know, sometimes we want to see instant fruit as we're pouring into people. And that's not often the case. Sometimes you don't see the fruit till many years later. You know, just uh, Christy and I, we started out in youth ministry, did youth ministry back in the uh, 90s uh, for nine years in Southern California. Uh, one of our youth happened to be in town uh, and visited us. Just she popped in here yesterday, Missy. She's got married and has two kids now and I don't know, hitting 40 or whatever. But um, that's the fruit that, you know, years later, uh, Dan is sitting back there. He was part of our youth ministry in the 90s. And there is going to be heartbreak in ministry, um, especially with youth, because you watch them make lousy decisions. You watch them uh, leave the church. They, they crash. They burn. They break your heart. You're pouring so much into them. Uh, you become like a mom or a dad, and you want the ultimate best for them. And then you see them uh, go off into the world, and it's heartbreaking. But then you have the successes. Uh, you have the Dans that become pastors. Uh, for us, Casey Kendall, who is uh, pastoring a church in Southern California, and um, with his wife, who was in our youth group, and his sister, who is a missionary in Australia. And, uh, you know, we have another one that was a, is a pastor in Colorado. And 
the fruit, you just have to be patient because you might not see it tomorrow. You might not see it next month. You might not see it next year, but you will see it. Even when the batteries go dead, uh, <laughs> be encouraged that you're doing the Lord's work. Yeah, there's going to be heartbreak, but ultimately there's going to be fruit. Yeah. Hey, so we'll, we'll have one last question, and we'll have one confident answer. And then we'll transition into some announcements and then Dominic go to our final, final thing. Yeah. So Dominic's going to answer this question no matter what comes. <laughs> It's like, it's like when the Fellowship of the Ring is under the mines of Moria, and there's that, the banging at the door, and they don't know what's coming. Here's your question, Dominic. Uh, okay, so my question is, uh, how do you know if you have the gift of teaching or not? Um, people listen. Um, how, confident answers. Um, <laughs> You know, they're, they're the intangibles of um, when you do it, there's joy, there's fruit. Um, I say it tongue-in-cheek. I, I think part of that fruit is the engagement. Um, I often think that God will call those who don't necessarily feel that that's their gift. <laughs> I think of Moses um, who stuttered. And yet, there was a calling, there was an anointing on his life. Um, I think humility's a, a part of that. And I think there's a clear, a clear difference, too, between just the art of communication. I mean, you talked about homiletics, but any, anyone can communicate versus that intangible sense of, of God's spirit. So I would say there, there's fruit. I also think, you know, I was reading earlier in Revelation when it says, the new heavens, new earth, that God seals his name on our forehead, which is an interesting place, because the only person who can't see that is yourself. And I think it's often what people see in you. They're speaking into your life, and they, they sense it in you more than perhaps you even identify in yourself. So. All right. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I hope that that encouraged you. Well, hey, here's here's two things that you should know. Number one is we have a private Facebook community where we're able to discuss episodes, ask questions, get feedback or advice. We've just passed the 600 member mark. And if you are still on Facebook and would like a positive place to converse with fellow expositors, well, search for the private Facebook group. There'll be actually a link in the show notes. And also, if you are considering ministries to financially support with your year-end giving, uh, might I suggest the Humble Expositors Collective. I think we're doing a good job of encouraging some of the next generation of Christ-centered biblical expositors. And if you would like to help us with the costs of this podcast and also our travel expenses for in-person training events, there'll also be a link in the show notes. And I would really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for even considering helping us out. Starting next week, we're going to be replaying some of the most downloaded episodes from 2024. 
I hope you stick around for a few reruns and we'll be back with new content in January of 2024. God bless. Hi, I'm Aaron Salvato. And I'm Cody Nunes. This Giving Tuesday, we're inviting you to join CGN in our mission that's transforming lives. At CGN, we're committed to raising up Bible teachers through Expositors Collective, empowering women in ministry with When She Leads, and planting new churches through Cultivate. We're also passionate about encouraging pastors and leaders with our Connect initiative, hosting impactful conferences and providing insightful articles on calvarychapel.com. Through CGM Media, we've got podcasts and a huge variety of resources. We're equipping leaders and Christians globally. Your support helps us continue these vital efforts. We're a small team doing big things. So this Giving Tuesday, your contribution can help make a significant difference. Support the work of Calvary Global Network this Giving Tuesday. You can visit cgn.org slash give to donate. Or you can text your donation of any amount to 84321. Together, we can spread the gospel across the world.